In this episode of the Into the Storm Leaders podcast, we talk about how people most naturally get shit done. We leverage the Colby system and the six types of working genius and have Kimberly Dyer, who's certified in both of those, along with being a professional EOS implementer, to tell us her story of how she was introduced to these systems, how it's been both freeing and validating for her and many of the clients that she's worked with, and how it frees them up to focus more on the type of work that brings energy rather than stress. If you've taken things like Myers-Briggs and DISC and Predictive Index, look, there's value in those tools, but those are the affective part of the brain. It's typically your emotion. Whereas the Colby system and six types of working genius tap into the cognitive part of somebody's mind. It's how they naturally take action. It's innate over your lifetime. If you've not been exposed to these in the past, you're going to want to check out this episode. If you have, you probably do too. At the end of it, take a free Colby A assessment, set up some time to review it with our guest on today's episode, Kimberly Dyer, so that that way you can ensure you're aligning your work with your natural strengths and you better understand your team so that that way the next time that you're putting together a project or a task force, you're doing less cloning and building better balance so that that way you can get different perspectives, different action modes, and a better result. Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host and catalyst for growth, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives. Join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Welcome listeners to another episode of Into the Storm Leaders podcast. This is one of your hosts, Joe Jurek, and I have with me today our very own Kimberly Dyer from Culture Shock. I feel fortunate enough to work with you on a regular basis. I'm not going to steal any of your thunder because you've got plenty to uh, to rain down with. But I I'm super pumped to have you today, Kimberly, and to introduce our listeners to you. So hi. Hi, Joe. Hi, listeners. Fun to be here. Being the first time that you're here in the studio at Traction Leadership Center, we want to interview successful business leaders, have them share what peak leadership really looks like to them little bit about your journey, talk about charging into storms, dealing with uncertainty and challenges and things that are uncomfortable. And boy, if, if you're going to share any of the ones I already know, they're going to be good. And I'm willing to bet you've probably got a, a bag full of some others as well. Uh, but to kick things off, we'll first give you a chance just to say hi and introduce yourself however you'd like to, and then we'll get into personal best and business best. Great. So for those of you listening, I'm Kimberly Dyer. I am here at the Culture Shock team. My role here is a certified EOS implementer. Those of you not familiar, of course, it's the entrepreneurial operating system. It has been my passion to work with leadership teams for about six years now just under about 300 sessions so far. Uh, in addition, I am certified in Colby, which is what we're going to talk about today. And I'm also certified in something called the 
Working Genius, which belongs to Patrick Lencioni and the Table Group. And I am a fan since we benefit from you being certified in those and also operate on them ourselves. That's something we'll get into or some of those different dynamics, how we leverage them. And I'm curious to pick your brain on how you got into some of those things. Before we get there and we'll have time for all of that, uh, let, let's talk personal best, business best. We, we've not seen each other in the office in a little bit. We've both been busy with sessions and other things going on. So what's been up? How's what, What's uh, one thing that you would say is share worthy since we last saw each other uh, in personal life and business life? So my personal life since last time I saw you was I got to see all three of my adult children. I have three kiddos that live in uh, two in Chicago, one in D.C., and I have managed to see all three of them. Had a great time with each of them together and separate. So I was a very proud mom of adult children. That was a great thing for me. Awesome. Uh, business best. It is quarterly season for so many of our clients. They're at the halfway mark. It is just I take so much satisfaction, if not pride, in seeing the progress my teams are making and seeing how they see it. They are in disbelief the amount of work they can get done every 90 days. One of them said to me recently, this quarter felt like a year in the level of accomplishment. Hmm. So it is uh, an absolute pleasure to work with teams and give them the assistance and the guidance and occasional kick in the butt. Love it. Can relate in a big way. and. Something would be wrong if I couldn't. What brought us all together is common mission to discover, engage, and grow leaders. Yep. Right? And what, what's been most gratifying for me is, is the same. Working with leaders and seeing the progress that they make and, and just being able to contribute to that in any way. And had a session yesterday and somebody had a similar comment and their kind of awe or amazement in the camaraderie that this group had built in four months. Said it feels like we've known each other a lot longer. Well, it's kind of a testament to you can't fake trust, but you can accelerate it if you're intentional about it. Yeah. Look back to some of your prior sessions here and how you and Pete have discussed the speed of trust and how this uh, program that you all have created really accelerates that. I've been fortunate enough to have lived it, right? Experienced it first here at, at Culture Shock. And Something that I was first introduced to, so I, I can't say this was my idea, but in addition to the personal business best, we do kind of like a vulnerability share. I guess I should probably say too, though. Huh? Yes, it you should lead with vulnerability. I should lead with vulnerability. Uh, personal best, business best. It's summer. I've got a four and a half year old little girl and a two and a half year old little boy. Um, daughter's in karate, kicking butt, literally, literally. and metaphorically. <laughs> Uh, loves it. Got her first stripe on her belt. Hilarious. And my son's hand-eye coordination in towards baseball is just leveling up in major strides. But every time he hits a ball, there's like a tracking magnet and it hits me in the face or, or somebody. So there's that concern, but also the hilarity that comes with it. That's personal best for me, for sure. Love it. Uh, and then business best is probably this. It's We're six... Well, we've recorded six or seven episodes of this podcast and generally gotten a good response so far. And I love the interactions I'm getting to have and ability to get to share some of this stuff. And uh, that, that's definitely the business best as of late. Excellent. So when we talk vulnerability share, I like first job, worst job, family dynamic, 
and a challenge that we faced as children that had an influence or shaped us. The reason we like to do this with new connections, new groups, leadership teams, first time we're at a conference or a meeting, is because we work alongside people sometimes for years without knowing much about them. And it's often so surface level that it kind of opens a door. It's formative impact from things that we experienced as a child. Uh, and then also just some humor that often comes with first job, worst job. So since I'm leading, I'll go first. I'll tell you, uh, Dairy Queen was my first job. And while for a couple of years there, I couldn't touch Dairy Queen, I've come back around where I love it again. But started working there when I was 14, a week after I turned 14, because it was the only place I could at that age. And the odd thing about that, it was by no means my worst job. My best man at my wedding was my first GM. My wife also worked at Dairy Queen. And we have this DQ crew that has stuck together <laughs> 20 years later uh, that, that still stays in contact, gets together uh, a couple times a year. And that seems almost unheard of. I tell people that and they're like, what? Uh, so uh, how about you? First job, worst job. Oh, you pick. So first job might speak to the entrepreneurial spirit, which was in my family. If you wanted something, you had to go get a job. There was no allowances. There wasn't any handouts. Um, at the time, probably about 12 or so, my mom lived in a beautiful area in North Carolina. We had grapevines surrounding our property. So I went out and collected links and links of grapevines that I could get my hands on cut them and shape them into wreaths, which then I sold with the bows and ribbons I could find literally left over from Christmas or birthdays. And then I started taking custom orders if someone wanted something to match their house, their door. So yeah, I created door wreaths out of grapevines and sold them. I didn't know this. <laughs> I am not a very crafty person, but I, I, there were things I wanted to do that to get some cash flowing in the door. Yeah. So that was my first real job um, that was created by me. Uh, worst job, if I think back to it now, it was, I was 16, worked at a Bennigan's. I don't even know if they still exist. Uh -huh. So just your classic fast casual, which probably didn't, the term didn't exist then. Also back in North Carolina. But the, what made it the worst was my first full day on the job was Mother's Day. If you don't know anything about restaurants, the busiest, worst day on the calendar is Mother's Day because everyone wants to take their mom out. So the kitchen, which is where I worked, making sandwiches, salads, and desserts. Baptism by fire. Welcome to it. And I love a hospitality experience because you are humbled on day one. You are there to serve each other in the kitchen, to serve the client. Uh, but wow, I had to do some serious multitasking really fast that day. I I lasted through the summer. I was going to ask if you stuck it out. I, I stuck it out through the summer because in the kitchen, by the way, it's somewhat air conditioned, and mm -hmm. in summer work in North Carolina is really hot. So I'd rather do that than sit by a pool and lifeguard. <laughs> and it was up to you to if you wanted something, you had to work for it. So I get it. So in the rest of my life, I've always. Um, I hate the words judged, but assessed someone as to whether or not have they ever worked in hospitality yes. because you can tell when someone has. Portrait, 
retail career and felt that same way. You have a different level of appreciation for people in service industry and just show them more respect and kindness because you realize a lot of times it's not their fault and they're humans. So don't necessarily deserve all your frustration, right? So many things, but I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, I can relate <laughs> there for sure. I didn't know that your entrepreneurial my spirit was that spirit started so young, uh, or that was one of the first things. When's the last time you made a wreath? That's a great question. Probably a long time ago. Yeah, probably I decorate them still because mm. I'm forced to. My family likes Christmas decorations. I don't kind of like your Dairy Queen took you a long time to go back to it. Yeah, I think I've been. I don't want to go near wreaths. Well, I'll check in each holiday season to say, like, See is it doing. time to reboot this? You want to do do some sort of team building here where we uh, create them? You can show us the ropes. It it did make me think of something that wasn't my first job, but kind of recognize. At one point in school, I I didn't understand what I had done, but I, I guess I had created a ring of uh, candy bar salesmen or candy bar salespeople in the lower classmen. Like I, I was initially getting these boxes of candy bars from Marks at a heavy discount and realizing, well, in, in the cafeteria, this stuff's so expensive. So selling it in my, I think it was a junior at the time or something, I was like, man, I could go a lot further if the freshmen and sophomore, sophomores were so distributing this. So you did your this. MLM program? I guess I started a multi-layer marketing program in high school, yes. Uh, so some of the sales uh, jobs that, that came next uh, and also some of the affinity towards more entrepreneurial jobs. I, I, I haven't shared that before, but I guess what you made me think of that connection as well. It's like, what was my first foray mm -hmm. into entrepreneurship? And then I had a longer hiatus than you, though. I, I stuck with that, you know, more Dairy Queen, the more corporate uh, <laughs> side of things for a while. But I know you did as well. Right? I did. You want to tell us a little bit more about? Yeah, it was right after college. Um, it was time to get a real job. Um, Part of my family has owned a manufacturing company since before I was born, and a lot of family members are allowed to step into it. I looked at it and said, no. Um, I really wanted my family to be my family, not a board meeting, not to be colleagues or coworkers. And so I was fortunate enough, I was invited to join um, a Fortune 200 company, got some extraordinary training at a very young age, and a lot of responsibility at a very young age. But corporate the structure is very rigid, mm -hmm. uh, very lockstep, but I was gifted a lot of uh, opportunities. I called them intrapreneurial opportunities because it was still within a corporate structure. The culture at this company was about continuous improvement. What can we do better? What can we do less of? What can we save money doing? And that was like a sweet spot. So we had a lot of freedom to go find better ways of doing things. And so at the time, I was tasked with finding a way to improve our uh, inventory. both, And it started with finished goods. And then it, of course, naturally went into, well, what comes first? What come before that? So the whip had to be taken care of as a work in process or work in project. Yeah. And then raw, what the heck was going on with the raw materials? So that became something else I worked on for a number of years. Did it tap into something? Like your yeah, I, always want, I just like making things better. Sometimes to my own detriment, because am I satisfied with done or perfect? So I, that's a whole other session we can get into. We'll probably 
scratch the surface of it a little bit when we talk Colby in different action modes. And I know we have uh, an affinity to do things or get stuff done in a different manner. Yes, I'm sure do. I drive you nuts sometimes with that, but... But I drive you nuts with my stuff. And because we talk <laughs> about it openly, we've identified it, gives us a language. I think that that helps us, you know, work, work better together and have a stronger yes. connection to balance. Well, one of the things we'll really dive into is how our Colbys, our natural Colby A's, are really great puzzle pieces to getting collaboration and productivity better. Before we go down the, the Colby rabbit hole, uh, it's not a rabbit hole. It's something that, by design, I, I want to spend some time talking about today because I, I think there is such value to it and you have such crazy level expertise and, and stories in it. But you've mentioned family a couple times. Yep. Uh, that was your personal best. That was, it, it was a motivating factor for the work that you did. One of those first three questions in order to peel back layers, get to vulnerability is family dynamic. Tell us a little bit about uh, what, what what is shareworthy? What is the high level like drive for you? You mentioned you have three kids, but just give us a better understanding of your family dynamic and how that has an impact on who you are. Sure. So I, mostly it's kind of origin story. It felt normal to me. It's all I ever knew. But my parents divorced when I was tiny. I have no memory of them being an intact family. But I had the most amazing, like, Wonder Woman role model of a mother. Uh, but she had to make a lot of hard decisions, hard choices to be the breadwinner and raise two children on her own, my brother and I. Um, so she was gone a lot. So independence was expected at an early age. So using that as a, a kind of a stepping stone or a touchstone, um, when I became a mother, I knew I wanted to be what I was missing, what I needed. So my children always knew from the time they were little that I was, I had their back. Not to rescue them. I, I let them fall and fail once in a while, but I have always been available to them. And I'm still as adults, they know they can text me with some business question, some personal question. That was always around for them. They need me. You hit on a couple things there that. This was a three-hour podcast. I'd love to open up each one of them because <laughs> I think they do naturally fit in so well with leadership and things that we talk about with letting letting them fall sometimes and modeling yourself, not just after the strengths around you that you saw, but even the things, the pains that you felt, realizing I want to make sure that my children don't feel that way, that that's something I can provide them. We argue sometimes when we talk peak leadership about do you grow more through having that mentor at your side guiding you along the way or through the adversity that comes with the latter, right? And I, I think if you have a learner mindset, you learn from all of it. You grow from all of it. But Absolutely. On my end, uh, family dynamic, I, I used to think it was a really large family because it's like Italian family, Sunday dinners with consistency. And then I met my wife and... Her family is 18 times the size of mine. I was like, oh, this is what a, a big family is like. But you know, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. My family's been here for a while. And my parents got divorced at a young age. I think it was three. So I had the benefit and like the advantage. My mother and I lived with my grandparents. And they had such influence on me. I'm so grateful for them. They, they passed a couple of years ago, but uh, to live with them uh, until I was adult and I moved out when I was around 18. 
And now having, I mentioned I have two kids, my wife, Sarah and I have been together 20 years, married since 2016. And those things absolutely shape and influence all that I do as well. And taken into the third one, that fits nicely, childhood challenge. I'll hit this one first, then kick it back over to you. I, I think that, that the, the separation, divorce at a young age absolutely was an obstacle or something that I didn't fully realize then or until years later, some of the impact that it might have had. And while well, I absolutely recognize the benefit of getting that influence from another generation as well and just more accessibility and close relationship with my grandparents by living with them and my mother and still connecting with my father, you know, getting closer over the years. I, in recent memory, kind of picked up on one of my biggest skill gaps as a leader was that I had a hard time with giving really, really direct criticism. I was almost a people pleaser and had that peace at all cost affinity because of that conflict at a young age. I, I just wanted everyone around me to be happy. I wanted to make people smile and had that high concern for others, think about what they're feeling almost to a fault. And I did eventually kind of peel back layers and connect the dots there. But as a child, I was an only child. So just wanting to always have friends around, wanting to uh, have a sibling and just that, that time with parents. I think that was a hurdle that I'm sure many people can relate to that I later recognized like, wow, wouldn't change it for the world. Like so much good came from it. And happy that I learned what I did and grew the way I did because of it. How about you? Childhood challenge, something that shaped you, mm -hmm. had a big influence on who you are. Shaped is the uh, appropriate word, I suppose. Um, so back to being a, just imagine a 16-year-old. I've got a new license. Now, I'm in a very competitive high school. And uh, I'm in a pretty horrific car accident, like lots of things broken, including face, knees, et cetera. Um, coming out of recovery, a couple days later, a nurse comes in and says, sweetheart, I certainly hope you're smart because you're never going to be pretty again. Oh. Uh, I wasn't really sure how to respond to that one, but I, at that moment, I thought, well, I think I'm pretty smart, but I got better double down on this right now. So I have been a self-taught, got to get ahead, based on that one pretty insensitive comment. Wow. You don't like find yourself not pretty, right? <laughs> like I, From that sorry. moment on, it's like, it doesn't matter what I look like. I, I mean, I've been told both sides of that, but wow. I wanted and needed to focus on my intellect. It, it comes through. I have a feeling it, it may have anyway, but that was like a chip on your shoulder. Oh, that... yeah. Yeah, well, you, I mean, think about your average vapid, self-centered 16-year-old. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> familiar. So that's, uh, that was mine. Wow. I love this. I, I didn't know that uh, about you. And you know, it, it's funny. We've worked together for about a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. And just pausing, being intentional and asking a couple questions like that, it, it does, it just forms closer connections. And Absolutely. We teach this so much with our teams and both of our types of sessions we do. And when you want someone to be truthful or vulnerable with you, you've got to start 
it first. Leaders set, go, set the tone. Leaders go first. Otherwise, it won't be as sincere or genuine, right? Because you haven't opened the door for it. But much more willing to return, whether it be criticism, whether it be openness and vulnerability, if your leader does model it. I love having these discussions, having questions that we ask, things that we keep in our kind of tool bag, just things that we, we think to and pull out. But knowing the person in front of you is always most important in reading the interaction that you're having. So I want to make sure we carve out enough time here for the many things I think listeners can benefit from your sharing about. So let's talk Colby. Let's talk about Colby. Kick that off how you'd like to and tell our listeners, what's Colby? Why do they care? How is it going to actually benefit them in any way? So the majority of people that, of course, listening, maybe a few of us looking at our faces, Colby is K-O-L-B-E, not mm -hmm. C-O-L-B-Y. It is a woman's last name. Her name is Kathy Colby, and she is the futurist inventor theorist that created Colby. And uh, I have the great privilege, great gift have been trained by Kathy and her team. I was, uh, I was recently said it was a humble brag, but uh, it is truly a privilege to be in her presence. She's just full of wisdom and also generosity. She shares so much about it. So Colby, on a high level, uh, is an assessment. Okay. And we can talk more about the ones that are most commonly known in our world, especially for the entrepreneurs. It might be DISC, sure. Myers-Briggs. Predictive Index. Predictive Index, Culture Index. Strength Finder. So they're all wonderful. They all tell you something about yourself. The reason I chose to get certified in Colby is Colby is the only one that tells you how you take action. And for me, that made all the light bulbs go off because you can have all the personality assessments or intellectual assessments, but how you take action means productivity, efficiency, communication, procrastination. No doubt. And Kathy's way of teaching simplifies it. And as you and I teach you know, our EOS work and our, our coaching work is when you can boil it down and simplify it. It's more readily applicable. You don't have to have a PhD in this. You don't have to sign up for 700 hours of coursework to be right. able to use it. So backstories, I was certified in Colby about four or five years ago. Forgive me, I can't remember the exact date. Okay. I was actually introduced to it because being an EOS implementer, it's required when we go through our training. EOS does a Colby A on all of us. So we know who we naturally are what an A, Colby A assessment stands for. There's others I'll dive into in a bit. Mm -hmm. um, getting my results was a, such a great day for me because I looked at it, read my results, and then there's also an audio file that comes with it. And it's Kathy explaining how wonderful we each are. And for anyone who's never taken their Colby A, what you'll find when you get your result is, first of all, you get congratulations. You got a perfect result. Right. Because in Colby, we are all perfect. But unfortunately, the world and our jobs and our, our expectations and obligations don't let us be perfectly who we are. So in a way we define freedom is to be yourself. Hmm. And that's how we define success in Colby. So getting my results, which I am an 8642, and I'll go through what that all means, um, by definition in Colby, that means I'm a strategic planner. You've known me for about a year and a half. You probably shook your head and go, oh, yeah, that's her. I'd say that's <laughs> fairly accurate. 
Can you, um, real quick though, you hit on the how you define success in Colby. I want to make sure that stands out and was clear. Certainly, it's freedom to be yourself, which means taking action, doing things the way you would naturally, not how someone's told you to do it. Yeah. Not how you've always done it in the past. Because if your natural inclination is not how you're doing it, you're going to feel frustrated, fatigued, maybe ticked off. The easiest example is if we've got the cameras rolling, Joe. Pick up the pen with your dominant hand and write your name. And we see Joe using his right hand. And regardless of how illegible his handwriting is, that is his natural way of doing it. Now, Joe, please indulge me by using your left hand. I love this. Doesn't mean I'm practiced in, <laughs> a, in any way, but I have introduced it. So this is a simple, simple way of defining your freedom to be yourself, your natural inclination, your MO, modus operandi, is you're striving when you pick up your right hand and you could do it and you probably have done it with your eyes closed. Now, when you do it with your non-dominant hand, your unnatural way, harder. It's frustrating. Yeah, Even though I've it. done it a couple times when introducing that exactly. quick exercise. So that is the most simple way of defining what a Colby helps us understand, your natural way of taking action. Not that you can't do it. No. Right? If you spent all day writing with your left hand, you'd be so fatigued, so frustrated. It, the results wouldn't get any better, probably. <laughs> it took me longer. I had to think harder. And the result still kind of sucks. Yeah. So now apply that into your job, anyone's job who's listening. Yeah. If you have to do something in an unnatural way for eight hours a day, you're going to use up all your energy doing something less productive with less really stellar results. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Like you're banging your head against the wall because maybe you've had a history of being really excellent at what you do. And all of a sudden there's this variable that you don't quite understand. And we often attribute it to the humans on the other side. It was liberating for me when I took the Colby for the first time. And I've always been kind of an assessment nut. I, I <laughs> seek them out. But let's talk about yours, your A results. Very different than mine. They're, they're pretty different, yeah. Uh, and I think prior to Colby, I'd be like, yeah, we just don't necessarily work well together or don't get things done the same way. And like I was certified in predictive index and mm -hmm. other things and built programs around it. That wouldn't have really told me why that is. So I guess you tell me what between your 8642 and my 5392. Yeah, your 5392 and my 8642. Imagine, um, I like to look at it this way, two sets of uh, bird wings go like this. They fold together. So it's a perfect puzzle piece. So how I naturally take action on a new concept is I do questions. To the point where somebody's going to roll their eyes and probably run away. But unless they respect me and value what I'm bringing up, my eight in fact finder, which is the first mode, I have to get a lot of facts and figures, historical references, validity. That's where I start. When you get a new project, hey, Joe, go make a podcast. Let's go. Your inclination is your quick start, which is your nine. That is a risk aversion. Risk and uncertainty, 
you are halfway down the runway, already got a million ideas ready to go, no questions asked. You heard podcast and you envisioned this room, this space, the guests, the questions. I would have caught up with you in about a month after I asked more questions, interviewed other podcasters, did my research. Some of that would have been helpful, right? <laughs> right. And it's was. A, it's like and a belt is. and suspenders approach. Because you, you kind of need that. You need both. Happy middle, right? I, I benefit greatly from slowing down some of the research, some of the thoughtfulness. I now feel confidence in this and recognize as a strength, I will drive things forward with speed and try to bring them to life quickly, if not correctly. Yeah, what we've discovered here at Culture Shock is when you come up with a new program, a coaching um, module, you're great at throwing everything against the wall. And then you'll give me the permission, the gift to let me come in and review it. Not just for spelling errors or you know, could we say it differently right. or here's what's already worked in the past or sometimes it's like, hey, this this is content that probably belongs to someone else we do have to do attribution for, but you've got it. Let's right. So we have a really good handoff to that. Format, structure, effectiveness, details, right. things so I wouldn't I have go, even thought of. So back on the higher, higher level, what Colby does for teams, most yeah. of our most of our listeners are going to be someone on a team, unless you're a solopreneur. Colby helps you identify the unique gifts, the strengths of the people on your team. First yourself, then your colleagues, your team. Then it helps optimize because if we're stuck doing things that are not in our natural MOs, not in our natural gifts, we want to make sure we're optimizing that as much as possible. I mean, if anybody going through looking at utilization of their people, whether they can do it down to the macro level, micro level of how many X per hour. Mm-hmm. Optimization is key, right? And then it creates alignment. Are we building? Do we have the right team? And we can look at what our culture shock team looks like with our team dynamics. And what Colby can do when I look at teams is I can help teams understand what the impact's going to be by removing a team member or adding someone, both positive and negative. I think that's a big one. So should I shouldn't be in a research analyst type role? Is that, could I do it? Yes, Joe, you could be a research analyst. However, you would do about 15 minutes worth of work and then need to get up and move around. Look to at get some energy get from. Get some energy because all your energy is drained. Yeah. I, however, can sit quietly for hours with physical books, digital files, notepads, I'm just happy collecting lots of details and data. Because I know this about myself, I'm going to find work that aligns with that. Because to your point, it can bring you energy instead of stress, right? And boy, as I've gotten to, I know enough about the Colby system to be dangerous and also to get myself in trouble. So I I lean on you. Uh, (laughs) But for me, it, it has really helped be clear and honest and unapologetic about here's what I'm good at. These are the things that I should be leveraged for. These are the things I shouldn't because I'm not trying to write with my left hand all day. Exactly. I I don't want to deplete every bit of the finite amount of energy I have by noon. Exactly. Or then for the rest of the day, I'm just finding a way to recharge. 
Yeah, if we could just look at it as optimization of human energy, this doesn't talk about talent. It's not right. talking about your intellectual skill sets. We clearly have those, but this is your energy. For those other assessments, the ones that people may be familiar with or more familiar with, maybe using Myers-Briggs DISC, can they be used in conjunction? How would you recommend, like if somebody is using Colby or considering it, to enhance their hiring and placement, team fit practices and things like that, but they already have something in place. Is it don't use it anymore because now Colby replaces it or is there a way to? No, I really like to look at it as a, another leg to the stool, another, another element of who this person truly is because we're not flat. We're not, we're not two dimensional, right? So company ABC is interviewing a candidate. They're looking at their intellect, you know, their experience. Mm-hmm. So that's somewhere riddled on the resume, right? Okay. They've got a skill set they're matching to. So that's where maybe an SAT, ACT, or graduate level is assessing that, but also the candidate program. So they've got credentials, right? That's your intellect. Okay. Kind of your cognitive that's ability. Your cognitive. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Now, fabulous assessments. These typically are assessing your affective, which is basically your values, what motivates you. Hmm. And this comes from experience exposure to family, to other companies, and some internal, what's, what's driving you, right? Now, the third leg of the stool could be the Colby, which is your cognitive. And yes, it will get auto-corrected to cognitive. Cognitive means simply this, how you take action. So if you've got a view of a candidate, Fit your culture, that's your affective. They fit the job requirements, right? Your intellectual, your cognitive. Now, how are they going to take action and get things done? Here's your cognitive. I can see that being helpful. I've that's, lived it. So we find is when I meet with clients that I've said, oh, I don't need Colby. I've got some other brand of an assessment. I'm like, great. Is it working for you? Are you truly using it and not weaponizing it? Right. We don't want to have somebody pigeonholed because just they're a whatever brand of assessment it might be that extreme. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Colby. You and I are extremes in our Colby's. We can't just say, oh, just a quick start. He'll never get anything done. And, you know, Kimberly's a fact finder. She's just going to drive us nuts with questions. No, we don't want to weaponize that. I do throw that precursor out there about not weaponizing it because, of course, it can be. Oh. And people look at it and find then. Ways to make new excuses about exactly. things. Here and... comes the bias. So this right. is helping us limit the bias, right? For sure. So how you use it in a work setting, it can be used for recruiting, attracting and retaining to best talent. Colby does also offer something called Right Fit. Uh, that is where we can look at your ideal candidate pool, matching right. them to your job-specific needs, and we can actually grade your candidates uh, as to who's going to be a best performer in your teams. takes a little bit more data than one or two data points, but it really does work well. As I mentioned before, it can help if you already have your Colbys on a team. We can look at what's going to happen if we introduce a new person to the team mm. and what their unique Colby is going to be, how it's going to impact it, positively or negatively. And you and I have talked about how there are two different ones we look at. It's called Synergy. We're striving towards ideal synergy, a team that's got great balance of all different attributes, different parts of Colby. And there are teams that suffer because we tend to hire people exactly like us. Right. This is the piece, Kimberly, that I 
has been the most tangible, the most applicable for me is looking at the team synergy or team dynamics and how if I'm building a plane and then need to fly that plane, the pilot and the engineer probably have some different action modes, way of getting stuff done. If I hire only pilots because I'm cloning myself and that's who I am at the executive team, probably going to miss some steps that that plane's going to crash. Right. And you've mentioned the great words cloning. In Colby, we call it conative cloning. If we have an entire team or a majority of a team that are nearly identical in their action modes, they're going to run into some issues, some challenges. Um, Example is I was working with a team that was the majority were initiating. They take action first with fact-finding. Me, my eights. So 10 people on a team, eight of them begin with fact-finding. They're going to get into that analysis paralysis. Long meetings. Really long meetings that don't go away anywhere. Or, I mean, there's going to be some great innovation, but they have to know when to stop innovating and take action and start implementing. Yeah. So what we happens there when I see this type of scenario with or without a Colby, I'll say, hey, you know, how many new innovations have you come up with this year? A hundred. How many have you innovated? I'm guessing you'll sometimes have a need recognized where even that same group, somebody's going to flex to uh, an action mode, a uh, strength and area that the group needs, even if it's not their natural way of doing. Absolutely. Someone's going to say, enough, we've got to decide. And that's where typically my quick starts come in. You, Pete, Ron, Jim. We have We've a, got lot a lot of quick starts around here. It, we have a, this entrepreneurial operating system based company, and we work with a lot of entrepreneurs. And yeah, it can get no the best shot. of us if we don't have our our Kimberly, our, our Liz, <laughs> our Amy, other have a team good members. Balance. The balance if, when when there isn't that balance, and somebody has to flex over to cover some of these areas, they burn out. Yes, they can get uncomfortable fast because it is that writing with your left hand all day that conative stress that they get from having to do something that's just not so natural for them. Do you have any stories where you're working with the team because between Colby and EOS and geez, everything else you've done, I'm sure I don't, I could credentialize further by talking about numbers of executive teams that, that you've worked with and things. It's implied. Is there one that stands out where there was a missing, missing method? Right. We call it missing method in Colby. You realize there's nobody on this leadership team with high quick start or nobody with high follow through or an initiating factor in fact finder. And how like when you insert that missing puzzle piece, do you have a story that comes to mind where it was that aha realization and then, wow, uh, positive change when you fixed it? Very similar to the story I was beating with a team that had all initiating fact finders. They loved questions. They wanted details. They were just iterating, going in circle after circle after circle until we brought in someone who was initiating a quick start, who just kind of looked left and looked right and said, why are we still going down this, as we love, rabbit holes? Put an end to it. Because they were also lateral on leadership, there was a level of respect and there was an understanding that. This person was correct. So injecting a different 
Colby strength change the dynamic of the team? I understand why this is coupled with EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system for new implementers and how that's that you were introduced to it because it's a lot of emphasis on right person, right seat. Exactly. Building well-rounded teams that balance each other. Somebody can be the right person for an organization and be in the wrong seat. And you may notice maybe there's somebody who's not in the executive team, but somebody right alongside it who can complement, even if they don't have the cognitive or the experience that you would typically want where their input can still level up the effectiveness of that team in a big way. Yeah. It just takes one look at who's in the room, the dynamics that you're seeing, and then just let's just borrow a bit of someone else's strength. I will say if you can't do that, if you don't have this as an option, there's some artificial things you can do. Uh, one team I just coached and I said, look, you need to set an alarm clock in your meetings hmm. because they were just spiraling. And so just put the alarm clock on and say, okay, at this point we need to stop. If you're going down a great aha, it's just an alarm clock. They're not going to get offended if you tell it to stop. Last thing I'll ask on this, and of course anything else you want to share, because I know we'd love to just expose as many people to this as possible so we can leave with that at the end, but you mentioned kind of the, the wings of a bird and that, them complementing each other. EOS has this visionary integrator dynamic, which is a little unconventional for some, yes. right? Based on what they would expect the accountability chart or, or typical hierarchy of an organization to look like. As we start to move into EOS, I, I think this is a great segue. Can you Talk about the power of that, that visionary integrator combo, but really why two people with such different action modes, what that relationship often looks like and why it's so important. So I, I don't want to say outright there's an ideal Colby for visionary versus integrator. I've seen lots of varieties, but some stereotypes do stand the test of time. So here at Culture Shock, we can just use our own our own example, our own team. Sure. Our visionary is a nine quick start, Ron Kaminsky, mm -hmm. who comes up with a thousand ideas a day. Some are fantastic. Some we need to set aside with all due love and respect. But then we have an integrator. And the integrator, her leading Colby strength, forgive me, I think seven or eight in follow through. She can take the brilliant ideas as the follow through strength and decide, are these systems and processes we need, don't need? And it's a harmonious balance that happens. So in EOS speak, we always say that the ideal relationship of a visionary and the integrator is called rocket fuel, part of the book, part of the academy. Yeah. I always look at them and there's some visuals for it. They're missing puzzle pieces, just like the wing. The strengths and styles of action are very, very different. But there's that intellectual social respect that says the visionary's job, their greatest gift to the organization is coming up with brilliant ideas, big relationships. The integrator's greatest gift is harmoniously integrating and also pushing back when it's necessary to protect what's right and best for the organization. I've come into contact with, we'll call it a couple organizations where it is just the CEO, the owner, the founder. 
And without having that mutual respect, that complementary relationship and role within the organization, I have seen people naturally fear speaking truth to power and lose sight of or not have a true pulse of what's going on around you because nobody will challenge you, right? And that, that you said the word harmonious twice. <laughs> it m- probably doesn't feel harmonious in the beginning, No, right? it feels pretty awkward and bumpy for a lot of people. When I've introduced this, I've talked about the fundamental attribution error being something where we attribute issues with others generally to character flaws, right? Somebody cuts you off uh, on the highway as they're merging, and this guy doesn't know how to drive, probably got some choice words, maybe even a a finger on the hand or two, and it's not that one unless it's down. (laughs) Uh, Whereas if we do the same thing the next day or next week or what have you, we're probably talking about the phone call that just came through, how we dropped this, the person in front of me who slammed on their brakes, the coffee I spilled, we attribute our own issues to circumstance and situation. And I've found so often that when there is that natural conflict and way of doing that often a visionary and integrator would have, previously, without having a language and identifying it, we may have just chalked it up to, we don't work well together, and that person has character flaws. Right. And, and it's far from harmony. someone who's just like us. We'd rather do that cloning and hire ourselves, right? Any advice on getting through that to the harmony <laughs> that you described? So as I, I mentioned, it's there's not always going to be an ideal, but stereotypes are there for a reason. Um, if the visionary and integrator have the understanding, appreciation of the common language of Colby, they know it's a clear handoff. And those fundamental attribution errors, as you just eloquently stated, go out the door. It's like, I'm not being difficult by asking you questions. I'm not trying to be a person. It's just who I am. It's a service. Like I see it, I'm trying to help. Right. And we'll often here at Culture Shock, and we're iterating or making rocks, the EOS quarterly goals. We know that there's going to be a natural strength for you initiating quick starts to throw a whole bunch of stuff on the whiteboard. And for those of us, Liz, Amy, myself, to come back and say, okay, that needs to be written more specifically. Mm-hmm. Does it truly fit into our time horizon? Is this the biggest priority? You said common language. When you have a common language, all of a sudden. It eliminates misinterpretation. Oh, because there's so much confusion and misinterpretation. We don't clarify understanding. We're using different terminology and language. And by having a introduction to Colby, introduction to any sort of system or book or, or what have you, kind of gives you this platform to have some dialogue around it and use this common language. And there, there's absolutely something to that. For, so for our listeners, that, that sentiment of whether it be Colby, and we'd love for you to take a Colby A assessment, learn more about yourself and your team. Right now we're offering a, a free Colby A assessment through Culture Shock and review with Kimberly. Yeah. So if you're curious, this resonates with you. We'd love to help you learn more about yourself, give you some more freedom to be yourself. So after you take your Colby A, you're going to get your results right away. You're going to get about a 16 to 20 page report. You're also going to get an audio file. But because 
we really want to strive towards our goals here at Culture Shock to discover and engage leaders. I will be offering an interpretation of your Colby to really get true, relevant questions answered for it. What can you do with it? We always bring it back to... How do I take action with this? No doubt. So I want to just uh, also not forget to add the good news and the bad news about Colby is this. The good news is it's truly who you are. The bad news for some people is Colby does not change over your life. It has one of the highest levels of consistency. So some of the other assessments are more of a snapshot in time. It's who you are at 25 at this job, who you are at 36 at that job because you're responding to it. Colby, after the age of around 16, 17, does not change. Very, very rare occasions. Hmm. So I, I stipulate the age because there are separate Colbys for younger readers. The words are different, but the results will be similar. There's a whole system, right? So there's different Colbys, and of course you can learn more on that. Maybe convo for another day. But truly, if you want to understand why you get shit done the way you do, and the same thing about your team. If you go to cultureshock.com and just fill out the main form submission, I believe you can select free Colby assessment, and then we'll we'll put you in touch with Kimberly from there to to talk about this. Even when you have this platform and language, it does let you introduce and be more open and honest about topics that otherwise you may not be able to. It doesn't mean that we don't still have conflict in our quarterlies or that we don't still embrace that when there are different action modes, but we, we don't let it become resentment under the surface. Absolutely. We, it's, it's healthy conflict, yes. as Patrick Lencioni teaches, because you've got to have healthy conflict. Otherwise, you're going to have what? False harmony. Mm. No resentment under the surface. I think there's a lot of that false or artificial harmony. Yes, you can correct me. Thank you. Artificial harmony. Uh, every organization I've been a part of, it's some layer or level. It's there. It's persistent. And EOS, I'd love if you could explain it to a fifth grader, but that that's, seems to be a fairly large component of it as well, is that open and honest dialogue. The... Surfacing issues, solving issues. Nothing gets duct tape and twine on it. So let, let's break into that because I, I know that takes up a lot of your capacity. It does. And is core to what we do. I think listeners know by now we operate on EOS here, but three of our team members are also implementers of this system. What the heck is it? Entrepreneurial operating system is not software. Oftentimes, it's easier to define something by what it's not. Mm. It is a operating system for your business, as long as your business has people. If you are a 100% automated factory, probably not your thing. It is really just about getting the most alignment around a vision, growing accountability with your team, not holding people accountable. They hold themselves accountable and getting the best results for what your goals and objectives are. It teaches a cadence of meetings. It teaches a common language and it creates a focus and environment where people can thrive. It was far simpler than I expected when it was first introduced to me. 
It's simple, but it's not easy. We've said that a couple times in this podcast so far. I think that's often the case. But we need simplicity so that that way we can get common understanding so we can explain it to others. And there is a whole library of EOS books that are not about software, that are about how to get clarity on that vision, achieve healthy traction as you grow your business. And you can check out traction, check out what the heck is EOS. Rocket Fuel, you already mentioned about that visionary integrator combo. Process, one of the newest editions to the library. And if you love a good story, a fable, absolutely one of my favorite ones is called Get a Grip. It's a story of a company that's just not getting the results they want until they bring in EOS and an implementer. But it's a really good, simple read, and it's not a textbook. It's a great story that will hopefully resonate with our listeners. EOS life for me was the most meaningful. Do what you love. With the people you love. Make a big difference. Uh, With enough time for other... You forgot. Be be fairly compensated. Be fairly compensated and have time for other passions. Enough time for other passions. And some of the exercises that has you go through can be uncomfortable, but also very revealing and and give you more intention around where you want to go. And... Of course, you're, you're going to find yourself in situations that are undesirable, that probably stress you out if you've not yet achieved clarity with yourself of what that ideal framework is, right? Like how you want to invest your time, what's matter, what matters to you most. We think so often people do SWOT analysis on their business and they set targets and, and milestones and things like that for their organization, but not for their personal lives their lives right and shouldn't we start there like you you should probably know what the core values are whether you've set them or not at your organization hopefully they're not just on a break room wall somewhere part of the onboarding the os they're truly lived used as a filter what about your own core values right like it could think about it and and say them but have you ever taken the practice of actually capturing those that and quite a few things. I mean, EOS life for me was, that was the first, that's how it was introduced to me when I met with Ron before joining here. And we we flirted for a while before we started dating and decided we were going to do some good work together. It's okay. Uh, he refers to me as his stalker before we decided to work together. Yeah. So let's open up EOS a little bit. You mentioned implementer. There's an operating system. It's simple. It's for growing businesses. Why do they need an implementer? Why is that a factor in this? And is there some benefit or advantage of having this person who is outside of the organization but still in support to it? Like, what would your sentiment be there? So going backwards just a bit, EOS is designed for entrepreneurial-minded companies. That doesn't mean you have to be an entrepreneur yourself, but you could be, you know, a third-generation manufacturer, like we have plenty here in Northeast Ohio, but more afraid of the status quo than they are of change like that. Oh, I know. I don't want to change. Change is scary. They want to grow top line, bottom line, product line, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's we will get more out of your business, more for what you most want. Why would someone want to use an implementer and always to make sure that there's a delineation? Integrators are people that are in-house at the company, more like a COO, head of ops. Implementer sounds very similar is an external EOS-trained, certified professional or 
expert, we have all three levels here at Culture Shock, who is a neutral third party, comes into your company and helps the leadership team learn the tools, facilitates your sessions, and coaches you through this, uh, how implementing EOS would work in your company. We are the eyes and ears that comes in with some outside expertise. We are not consultants. We don't have industry expertise. We might have it just as a happenstance and we're comfortable with that. But all of us work industry agnostic. There's probably some value to that as well. And it's, it's so great to walk into a session room where the team gets to work on the business, not in their roles. Yes, they're still subject matter experts, but they get to really dig in that day while we are facilitating. There's so much to EOS that just dip your toe in. I, I'm sure the recommendation, whether uh, an organization works with an implementer or not, would still be consume traction, share it, talk about it, you use what you can, like find what's relevant to you and apply it. And that's the first step because it, from there, and you, you talk to others in the community, you'll surely hear more stories of, you know, why it would be worth investing in some sort of an outside facilitator implementer even if that's not something that you typically do or that you saw as part of the plan in your growth stage and there there's plenty of workforce development grants and other programs and things like that that i don't think people always consider for leadership development coaching things like eos that i actually had clients recommend us to in another state to consider here in ohio and i was amazed and I don't write the grants or anything like that or apply for them. But still, like, there's things that people can tap into to do what they need for their business. And I've seen, even outside of U.S., how having an outside party, an unbiased person come in who's objective, who can offer even the senior most people some accountability, can have profound impact. Like, real change can occur. Yeah. Instead of it being this same meeting, the same thing over and over and over again, because there's some underlying trust issue or communication issue or, or what have you. When there's also this system for that person to help you implement, I think it, it's been, I'm not an implementer. I'm here in the office, Traction Leadership Center. We have a, a whole, a space that's been curated for distraction-free healthy, conflict-rich strategic planning sessions and development sessions and things like that. We're in the process of building out uh, a second area for that. So every day of the week, whether I'm in here in a podcast or working uh, with, with something on the Into the Storm leader side of, of house, I'm seeing groups come in to work with Kimberly, to work with Ron, to work with Jim, and I hear it. So although I'm not an implementer, I'm, again, familiar enough to be a little dangerous. But I, I'm fortunate enough to benefit from wisdom of the system and of you three and to hear some of these stories yeah. uh, from our clients. As a reminder, if you've not uh, stated it before, any one of our listeners that has been self-implementing EOS and wants to have a sharpening of their tools, all they have to do is get in touch with us. We don't charge a dime for that. We are a help-first organization. Just, hey, how can I get better at this? Because there's some things we've seen and done just to tweak it a little bit and really make your implementations much better. I just wanted to go back to you were discussing what leadership sessions feel like. And I've just come off of three of them in a row. And 
there are days where sitting as the objective neutral third party, I'm watching the body language, watching the faces, listening for those moments of silence where the heavy lifting has to get done. But when I have my team's Colby's, I know I can tap into someone. If they're going in the, a direction that's needing more of a consistency, a process, I can say, look, we've got a seven follow through. You should own this rock to create this new system process. Don't assign that rock. Don't let the person with a two follow through take that rock. We know better. We know that about ourselves. We know that about the, the team. The more you know about your individual team, right, and their strengths, you're going to set that person up for some se severe frustration if they're like, I can't, they could do it, frustrate them. Mm -hmm. So for me as a facilitator, as an implementer, when I know my team's Colby's, I know who's in the room. I can speak to them in that in the language they want, which is my quick starts. I talk to them in bullet points. Why, thank you. You're welcome. And my fact finders, I will give them a pre and post follow up with a binder. In the binder, yep. <laughs> Tab. And my follow throughs, they want to know how it's going to impact history, current, and future. We've, we often neglect our implementor, spelled slightly differently, the yellow bar in Colby. Because so many of our teams just have people with more of a resistance level of that. It's the lower numbers, but that not a lower strength. A two or three implementer is someone who can envision an amazing outcome. But they may not necessarily be inclined to go pick up the tools and build it. So I never want to forget our implementers out there as well. They can... You can do it, but it's probably going to cause distress, right? Like, right. If you example, all can see this amazing podcast studio, this was hand-hewn by Joe. I think within a couple days of the quarterly and the decision to move forward with it, of course, I'd already visualized it, and it was more my inclination to move with urgency. Than accuracy. And just through my own like self-coaching and experience that I had some level of competence uh, or, or confidence in being able to, you know, do, do woodworking and stuff like that. But I, I'll tell you, I couldn't wait to get done. It was after I got started and the initial uh, joy, excitement of, you know, we're turning this into a reality. I was like, ah, can somebody else just carry this thing across the finish line? Because I'd sure like to focus on this other shiny object and go innovate something else now. <laughs> uh, so uh, that was, you know, a, a little... Probably a, a point of pride, something I, I was like, hey, you actually followed through and got this thing. I, I did it with the help of you a know. few other people. Uh, but we also have a team here, especially our integrator, who was looking at Joe every day. Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Why aren't you done yet? I think it was more you because you had some coaching sessions. And you were sessions. like, uh, hey, can we <laughs> use this room for that too? Uh, I was like, oh, I'm not going to let Kimberly down. We're going to get this thing done. All right. You asked another topic that we could, I, I plan on having you on here. Do this I'd time. hope to, with some matter of frequency. Uh, surely people can benefit from even just story sharing. We'll do some tales from the vault. I like it. EOS, though, before we move into Storm's peak leadership, anything else that you, you want to mention? It's for teams that are frustrated and want more out of their business. All they have to do is reach out to us. They'll have what's called a 90-minute meeting. Mm -hmm. Some people call them discoveries. It's just you will see and understand the tools, the process, and if it's right for you. We give that to anybody who needs a conversation about EOS. Level 10 is a way of describing the meetings. Right? We're not going to fully open this up, but if a company is self-implementing, 
and running level 10 meetings. Is there anything there you If they're level to... 10 meetings and everyone's rating it an eight, you've got some liars in the room. Invite one of us in to observe your L10. We will be either a fly on the wall and then give you some great feedback on how you can get better. Or as I like to say, I, I will play freeze tag through every element I'll say stop and I'll give some feedback quickly. But yeah, we love watching other L10s so we can really get some improvement for people. One of my closest, deepest friends uh, is actually how I was first told about, not fully introduced, but how I was first told about EOS. And he was at a company in Las Vegas that was operating on it and talked about how it was the most disciplined, effective meeting he had ever been a part of. That there were like clear actions, it was very timely, everyone had their part to share. So while it's a simple set of these tools, like meeting effectiveness, yeah, having Kimberly or, or another member of the team observe one, like she said, we're, we want to help first. We are anti-consultants. We don't do contracts. We don't do long-term uh, retainers or anything like that. And if we're not the best fit, we're going to tell you. We have an abundance yeah, well, mindset. We're going to find somebody who is. <laughs> yes, we're happy to because you know we, we want to work with people that we love, that we can make a big difference with. And we believe in servant leadership. Right? We want to serve because we realize that that's the weight, the responsibility of, of leadership. We take it seriously right, and try to share that with others as well. That said, how about courageous leadership? And got buffaloes all over the place. I got one. On the cup, I got to see him in Denver uh, when, when I was out there a, a month or so ago. It predates me coming to Culture Shock, certainly, but it doesn't mean that, that some of the mentality uh, hasn't always been there. But what united us was that mission to discover, engage, and grow leaders, something that we still all have in common and, and promote awareness of and this connection between Buffalo mentality and courageous leadership and, and healthy culture is this into the storm leaders, like how people have charged through difficult, uncomfortable situations head on to get a better outcome faster. What are some of yours? What are the ones that come to mind? My personal ones or my companies I've helped? Take it where you like. I, I think <laughs> it, it's generally, I, I have people think like professionally a time that you've charged into a storm. Maybe start there. Uh, but if there's one or two ancillary ones that you want to also share, sometimes we'll say, how about a time that you uh, recognized after the fact you should have charged into a storm <laughs> and did not? So I, I think all conversation around this is beneficial. Oh, let's see. Though actually, my discovery of EOS is a, a bit unconventional. I was working uh, as a board member for a nonprofit, and one of my board members uses EOS religiously. He's a private equity investor. Every single company, his portfolio runs on EOS. He and I were having discussions about the programs of the nonprofit, and he said, everything you've suggested, everything you want to do is traction. And I said, what are you talking about? He gave me the book. And my storm then and there was, I need to do this. I need to become an implementer. I had no idea what to do next, but being an eight fact finder, 
which I didn't know at the time. I did. I read the entire library that existed at the time. I probably Googled everything I could come up with, including stalking Ron Kaminsky on LinkedIn, finding out who he was connected with, asked for an appointment. And I gave up a off-the-cuff proposal and said, I want to be an implementer. I don't want to be on my own. I know what my unique abilities are. What do you say? And he, with his nine quick starts, said, let's go. Wow. So that's one of my storms, I suppose. And that's how it <laughs> Just started. Just jumping in here. Most U.S. implementers, as I understand, are generally more solo. Yes, absolutely. Us being we are the anomaly. The, the only one, but uh, a firm or collection of U.S. implementers that is unique. And so that storm getting us to the origin of that then, right? I'm not sure if I was the actual origin, but it was here, here. in Ohio. And, yeah, and so. Culture Shock, the, that connection, because, of course, we have Jim Tennant He's as well. Friend. And he came in about and joined uh, forces shortly. It's about two years after I did. Okay. So that was one, one of my personal ones, I suppose. Sure. What I, else, what else comes like to mind? I like to joke that, uh, so being uh, raised in North Carolina, Got married in January, and and I had to move here about almost a month before. So, Cleveland. Welcome to Cleveland. December 23rd was a blizzard. So, my literal storm I had to get through was driving on I-77 for normally eight hours, was more like 15 hours. My moving truck was lost in a blizzard. Everything Yikes. I owned was gone except what was in my car. And I still got here. <laughs> well, what, what was the other option? Like, what? what? Turn back. Turn back. But right? I said that. I said to my husband, my then fiance, now husband, I said, I sold my house in North Carolina. My job is in Cleveland now. I can't turn back. Yeah. I guess you could have. But if you did, where would you go? And it... it probably would have just continued to become a bigger and bigger issue right? Uh, until you, you know, <laughs> moved. I think the easiest example that we can all relate to is what most companies, most of our clients went through during COVID with respect to a storm. Is I, like everybody else, I had to go home and sit in front of a computer and during our lockdowns here. And suddenly I had to learn Zoom, Teams, technology really fast. But the teams that reached out to me and just said, we've got to get through this. We've got a framework you taught us, but there's a lot of big change coming at us. I had one yeah. particular team that lost 90% of their revenue. Nine, zero. So we did weekly calls, not rocks anymore. We did weekly to-dos just to keep the company afloat. We had to do what's called a reverse accountability chart. And they had to make smart decisions who could stay on the team and keep the company afloat. Yeah. Fortunately, this company has a great outcome. They are back in business like crazy. There's a backlog of orders they have to fill. Uh, but it was the storm mentality of the owners, the founders, the, the leadership team that had to get through it. Uh, the privilege they extended to me of their trust with me to help them through it. All through Zoom. We couldn't even get in the same room together. There were, there were countless, countless that, that came with that. And I, I try to always make sure it's clear that it, it's what we want to capture. It, it's not the times where it wasn't of, of course, I'm going this direction. 
of course, it's difficult, but I don't really have another option. It's where that other option is seemingly far more comfortable and more traveled. And in that situation, I can see there being plenty. Like, yes, there's the evolve or die, but lots of mini storms with people yeah, issues and hard decisions that if you belabor, well, the storm becomes a lot bigger because then you crumble, right. you fall. And it, it's going to suck, but you deal with it with urgency. Right. We teach you about long-term pain or short-term pain. You're still going to be in pain. I th those examples each of the smaller storms, and they're not small by any means when it comes to people issues. Of course not. People decisions. But when a team recognizes they have the wrong person and that person is finally exited and I say they're liberated to go somewhere else. Right. Made available to industry. It's a great way of putting it. The rest of the company coalesces around it. They function better. They get more done. Less drama. Yeah. Those are not easy decisions. And as I say as an implementer, when I'm writing on the whiteboard, I said it's really simple for me to stand here with a marker and tell you what needs to get done and point to it. But you have to do it. I mean, we've, we've helped companies get rid of whole divisions because it wasn't their sweet spot. It wasn't their niche. They were chasing after the wrong stuff. And if fear rules your thought process or you're complacent, then it can have catastrophic uh, recourse. For me, when you were talking about that, I just, one that's clear as day for me is uh, when I finally promoted someone to customer who should have not been a part of the team long before, but through my fear about the rest of the team's reaction, they had a lot of institutional knowledge, they had uh, prowess in performance and things like that, that that had a impact on our entire location. I didn't charge into the storm early enough on that one. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I realized it was only going to get bigger and finally gained the courage to address it head on from a place of compassion and directness and just curiosity to say, this, what are the reasons that I'm seeing this stuff? And is it because you don't want to be here or then why? What What is it? And ultimately, I ended up having a really good relationship with that person. They were happier because doing some work that better aligned with his instinctive strengths. Right. And the rest of the team just rose up. And like you said, none of the people issues are small storms by any means. They surely don't feel it. And when there's livelihood and well-being of another human on the line, like mm -hmm. you always take that seriously or you should. But it doesn't mean you avoid it. No. At least a peak leader wouldn't, right? At least the peak leadership experiences I've had with folks, mentors, coaches, teachers, family members, bosses, what have you, um, those aren't the characteristics that I would expect there. How about you? When you think about peak leadership experience and the qualities of that person, if you're fortunate enough to, ha to have more than one, great. I'm sure you've come into contact with some pretty incredible freaking humans. I know with certainty you have. But when you think p your peak leadership experience, give us a breakdown. What, what does that look like to you that you've kind of strived to emulate from that person? That's a really great question. Um, a particular person, I'm helping some people on her team. So I'm a bit of an adjacent to her. But I all the, all the great books that we reference on this podcast come to mind in her peak leadership. 
She is humbly confident. She has the multiplier mindset, Liz Wiseman book. She wants the best for her people and looks to them to grow and is willing to invest in them. But she gives them the gift of clarity of the vision and her expectations. This isn't just a free, you know, free for all for what they want to do, but she will look deep into her organization and say, there is a gem. I need your help with this person. And these people, I'm given the great opportunity and privilege to coach. But it's the, the leadership at the top that saw these opportunities that said, look, I need to invest in my people. And it's not just, you know, here, have a nice conversation, but these are the objectives I want met. So that, that is a true leader to me. That was a hell of a breakdown, <laughs> a way of simplifying it. And boy, I, I strive to be less verbose and more concise. Words matter when you use less of them. But just the way that you just defined and described that peak leadership experience was powerful. I, I hope that resonated. And the show notes will have all the books I just read. It surely will. <laughs> with, with links to any that I can find, of course. Uh, anything else on that topic? I, I mentioned the point before about we learn from peak leaders. We learn from interns. We learn from everywhere. But the, I think we learn most from side, our storms, right? Ah, that's where I was getting that flip side, the adversity, the, the challenges. I think you had also asked the great question of where did I wait too long? Um, hmm. An example comes to mind, and it, hopefully our listeners have had the experience of needing to fire a client. It's not fun. It sounds really flippant. But this particular instance was I was in a position where I believed I needed this client to grow my practice, to grow my experience, financial, et cetera. This was a highly dysfunctional team that I'd spent too much time buffering what I found to be a toxic leader from the rest of the team. And one day I finally got brave, went into the storm. And you're familiar with the issues list? Quite. I wrote last session, circled it, made it issue number one. And I said, this will be our last session together. And I, they Gave me the IDS, if you're familiar, was the identify, discuss, and solve. The root cause was a lack of humility by the leader, a lack of accountability. He had all the four toxins about blaming, shaming, stole. So I pointed out a lack of maturity, but that was our last session. I waited too long, and I took their money one time too many, and I gave it back. Nice. So that's where I waited too long. Yeah. Cool. That was a fear-based decision we talked about before. Respect to you for who you are, most importantly, but for even recognizing that and then responding how you did. Because it's easy to stay in a situation for far too long, right? And knowing when to move on from person to client situation, uh, situation it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be painful. But like you said, Pain now, pain later. Rip the band-aid off. Charge into it. Like that it's it hurt. takes Short courage. But pain. <laughs> that those are some of the characteristics that we we see in our peak leaders, right? They take action and don't expect things to be given to them or to just change without them addressing it. 
and being more intentional about it. We mentioned free Colby A assessment, and Kimberly's willing to do a review. Yep. We're going to do what's called an interpretation so we get it really relevant for you. With EOS, the 90-minute meeting is always free. And let us help with your L10s. Yep. Meeting observation. And thank you immensely. Thanks, Joe. I'd love to ask before we wrap here, uh, any closing words, things you want to make sure to share that you didn't get a chance to, uh, words of wisdom for emerging leaders or executives? There's lots of things that hopefully they can think through, absorb, uh, write some notes to themselves, for sure. and ask when are they going to take action on it. That's all. And that also kind of keeps it going for the next time. We'll probably have you on in the next month or so here to continue some of the dialogue because there's a lot more I want to unpack. <laughs> uh, but I, I really wanted to first introduce our listeners to you. So thank you. Thank you. Great. Very day. much for today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. And listeners, thank you very much. As always, if you were just listening to this uh, on wherever you get your podcast, you can check out our YouTube channel uh, to see the video side of things as well. In the description show notes, you can get all the resources that you need too. So we hope you got something out of this. We'd like you to use this as a clarity break. Think about what peak leadership means to you and what actions you can take to be that peak leader for somebody else. And one of them could be learn more about yourself with a Colby. So that's it for today. Thank you, folks.